Hi everyone, this is Poetry, comma, but make it relevant full stop with your host Isabel Hodgson and today my guest is Carl Alexanderson. Hello, happy to be here. Um, Carl is one of the poets I went to Uni-Slam with last year. Lauren shout out Gallagher. to Uni-Slam. Yeah, we had a shout out to Uni-Slam, our Uni-Slam team um, on Lauren's episode and basically... Um, these guys are amazing and I'm obsessed with them and that's why I've kind of asked them to be on the show. Um, so today we're just kind of going to talk you through some of Carl's poetry. So what would you say is your favourite poem that you've brought today? Um, so I think that's going to be the poem of Melody second, which is English, uh, the one mm. that I performed at Unislam, so you already know it, Izzy. Yeah, 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 I love it. It's my favourite of yours that I, uh, that I know. Um, Thank you so much. So yeah, just before we like start kind of getting into the poem, um, what were your influences for it? Oh, for that poem specifically? Yeah, yeah, for that poem specifically. Ooh, um, I think it honestly might be better to talk about that while, well, like after reading it or right before reading it, because I have a okay. lot, of, lot of things to say about it. All right, let's kick off then. Do you want to start? Um, you, do you want to start reading now? Yeah, yeah. So the first poem that, I, uh, that I'm going to do is just a very classic me poem, which I think is like a good mm-hmm. way to start it off with. Yeah. And then kind of move towards my more uh, recent stuff. But Perfect. Um, so this poem I wrote um, 2019, and I've like performed at different open mics mm-hmm. and different slams. And it was actually just uh, published earlier this year by this magazine called Impossible Archetype. Shout out to them. Wow. Oh, my uh, goodness. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's a stunning magazine. just focused exclusively on LGBTQ plus poetry. Um, wow. So I'm very honored to be included among such lovely um, poets. Yes. Um, but yeah, so this poem is called A Freudian Slip. Hmm. A Freudian Slip is when you say one thing but mean your mother. I mean, it's when you say, oh, men, instead of amen oh, after a prayer. I mean, it's when you say, oh, f- me, when you burn yourself on something that's so hot for you to hold. It's me wishing for you to stay when I've already asked you to go. It's me wishing that I could find the right words to express how much you mean to me without f***ing things up. But I keep things up. Instead of roses, I picked you a whole bouquet of whoopsie-daisies that you don't know how to accept. They don't fit in well with the rest of the living room, you say, but what you mean is that you and I are not a good fit in the first place. The living room is not a shared space, and I get it. I know that I struggle to find the right words, but I just can't think straight when I'm with you. Not that I ever can, but that's beside the point. I mean, you are... The view from the top of the hill, breathtakingly beautiful. I mean, you are all the hard work being worth it. I mean, you are sunlight and cherry blossoms and birds chirping in springtime. You are the flow of things and time. You are life in motion. I mean, I want to share that living room with you. What I'm trying to say is that you are what I am the most scared to lose in this world because you get it. Because you see how hard I am trying to make things right. Because you understand that when I say I love you, that's exactly what I mean. Wow. Oh, my God, I love that one. Oh, um, thank you. Thank you. 
So, okay, let's go Let's go in with the basic questions um, initially. What prompted you to write this poem? So essentially, I was just like on Pinterest. And then, <laughs> I, <laughs> classic. And I saw the line, a Freud and Sleep is when you say one thing about me and your mother. I don't want to take credit for that. That wasn't my uh, my joke. But I saw it and I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah, that I, to me is brilliant. And that, it's such a good opening to the poem as well. Right. And then that just started off this... Yeah, this poem. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh, I love this is the thing. I think um there's a there's a preconception of poetry as always having like really emotional mm. or like really kind of um pretentious startings like, oh I was reading like Chaucer and then I <laughs> decided that I need to like write on this. <laughs> you know, like often poetry like just comes from some of the most like stupid like beginnings. Yeah, and I literally. think that that's wonderful because that's like most of our life isn't spent, you know, having epiphanies. Most of our life is spent doing stupid stuff. So I really like, I don't know. Omar, the... Can I get that quote on a t-shirt? <laughs> but I it's true. That. No, it's so true. It's so true. I love it. But, um, I mean, you, this poem is obviously, I think it's really brilliant um, read out because you kind of get the, I mean, oops. And there's like a lot of speech kind of patterns or like mm-hmm. typical kind of um well things like um and you know the way that you actually say it is it feels really natural to the poem um Mm, yeah was that intentional it was intentional like I wanted the poem to have that kind of like very informal and almost like because I feel like the the I means and the kind of um the speech aspects of the poem it adds that element of just uncertainty that I guess I was going for because I was really, yeah. I really wanted this the speaker to to have all these feelings and just not quite being able to put them into words and to have that reflect in the way that I read it is that is intentional for sure. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's it reads so beautifully on. Mm. Um, I think on radio. <laughs> and <laughs> perfect. Yeah, you, some might say. Um, <laughs> so I was just going to ask you next. Um, yeah. Who were your favorite poets? Are there any poets in particular that you take a lot of inspiration from? Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, like, the way I got into spoken word was through watching Sarah Kay's TED Talk. In like, oh wow, yeah. So, like, she she is a, was a huge influence for me uh, starting off. I was mm. really impressed by. I think I was just really impressed at spoken word as an art form, but just kind of how accessible spoken word is sometimes like it doesn't not always but I think um you know the thing about spoken word poetry is that the the audience has to grasp it immediately like reading a poem off of a page you can kind of you know read it back over you know just go through it multiple times but like when you're performing something the audience just needs to get it and so I think so that's kind of what I try to go for in my poems to like keep them accessible it's very important yeah. to me, and I think Sarah Kay does that beautifully with a beautiful like balance of, um, of that accessibility, but also like you know all the things that we look for in poetry that make them make them poems. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, and for those who don't know um, Sarah Kay or aren't aware of her work, mm. um, she's she she uses her poetry. Speaks a lot about her poetry being uh, an educate like a tool for education yeah um 
she's I, I recommend anyone who's listening to go and give her a look um she she's honestly just brilliant and I think that, that you've hit the nail on the head there with the accessibility and I think that that's mm. something that um I've talked about before is that sometimes written word um so I think there are different types of poetry and I think it's okay to acknowledge that yeah um, kind of poetry that you read and poetry that you listen to or watch being performed um definitely there are you know especially with written poetry I think that because someone can spend a little bit more time mm -hmm. looking over what's mm -hmm. written and really looking into the meaning um, of everything that's being written down people tend to kind of push um push the meaning further so that you have to look for it and they 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 kind of challenge that and that's an interesting tool but um it does mean that poetry becomes less accessible to people who aren't necessarily that interested in it initially mm, especially yeah. like kids and teenagers um mm. i think i mean i'm still a teenager i'm only 19 um but i i only found 19 that... but your mind is older <laughs> sorry <laughs> hamilton reference I, I couldn't help myself um I, i'm i'm glad that you couldn't um <laughs> but yeah basically i think that spoken word has really opened up a new kind of audience of poetry which i think is brilliant um would you kind of agree with that how does I, it feel when you're performing uh no i definitely what was the last question sorry and and how does how, have you noticed that when you're performing like how does that kind of accessibility thing feel yeah no like because i definitely agree with you i think uh mm. spoken word is really doing awesome work in that sense and like um I just want to shout shout out Loud Poets. Um, yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, they organize um, poetry nights in Edinburgh where they like um, have like poets, like feature poets perform, and is yeah. creating this wonderful space for for like treating spoken word poetry as a proper art form, like with the you know the um, what's the word like the just the valid validity that it deserves I guess and mm. they've just been fundamental in my own like experience with spoken word they they've been so supportive of my work and like giving me opportunities to perform on like their open mic that they've that they have yeah. uh, organized and um they've just been like fundamental in showing me spoken word and what it what spoken word can do and um just like the possibilities of spoken word as an art form and I think that's um I think we need more of that yeah absolutely um I think it's definitely kind of grown in popularity especially with uh, it really fits the format of social media mm. um which you can decide like people will forever be commenting on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing and whether that kind of over commercializes poetry but at the end of the day um yeah. I think like I see people doing really interesting and fun things with posting their poetry on social media and especially I think during the coronavirus like lockdown it's been so much easier to share artwork because those kind of networks are now being created because that's the only space for them now. Right? Yeah. Um so I, I yeah I just think it's it's um it's opened up a whole new avenue that I uh, of how to receive poetry um and it's interesting that I, you know, we kind of talk about it as a, a new phenomenon when poetry would have always been like kind of would have always been a tradition. Like 
Yeah, yeah. Um, we I I talk about the classics a lot, but just generally, like performance. Um, opera is kind of some people would argue is a form of poetry, and I think that uh, we forget how long-standing that tradition is. Yeah. Um, and you definitely, I think, notice it when you actually go to a spoken word performance. Um, I I had never, I'd been to like a few open mics to support friends, but especially when you go to something that's organized, especially like Loud Poets is a really great example. Yeah. People who are really passionate about what they're doing. You can really, really tell um, how, how vibrant the scene is. Um, especially up in um, Edinburgh, I, I can't like say enough good things about all of the kind of poetry scene here i think it's really mm. great yeah no i um, definitely agree but so like izzy what was your because <laughs> i remember when we went to unislam um because you were quite new to spoken words yeah. so like what was what were your like ideas beforehand so this is the thing i'm such a great example of like a complete convert where i wasn't like i wasn't <laughs> in any way like I don't know. I wasn't in any way like dismissive of spoken word, but I was like, Oh, that's never, that would never be me. Like that's never going to be for me. (laughs) Um, And basically like it was the first time that I had been asked to write a poem that would actually like be like, is, you know, intentional. It's, it's intention is to be performed. Um, All of my other poems were very much kind of paper based and they were meant to be paper based. Um, So I, I've, I'd never kind of, I was never interested in making my poems rhyme. I, it wasn't really for me. Mm. Meter, I wasn't obsessed with in the kind of the rhythm of everything. I liked, like, if it felt like it fit to me, then that was all I kind of needed from a poem. Yeah. Whereas when I was kind of transferring it to a, a more spoken word, I was like, this isn't going to be received as well if mm. there isn't some kind of wordplay or if I'm not kind of engaging the audience, it's got to have a bit of musicality to it for people to really want to listen in. Um, And I thought, I think that that was something that I definitely got from it. Um, And I loved it. Like I, I kind of went in with the view of I'd watch like 21 jump street, I think is my like favorite example. Oh my God. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Can we talk about, can we talk about that scene for a moment? Cause all of my friends in Sweden, they will, they will bring up that movie and then I have to, and I, I have to defend spoken word poetry and be like, yeah, that's not, that's not it. I mean, it, yeah. it kind of can be, but that's not, yeah. that's not it. I promise. That's, that's a, the thing that's great about the scene is that it is rooted in some level of truth where there are, yeah. <laughs> I, I like to call them just like lazy spoken word poets who yeah. like trade too much on words having synonyms. And I'm like, uh, and kind of, uh, I'm just like, okay, cool. But like, what have you actually really said there? What have you really done? Literally. Um, and I think that that's what the scene in 21 Jump Street does. And I do <sighs> think it's hilarious. It is so but, funny especially like I think when you really get into it the I didn't realize like how much like comedic um spoken word there was I always thought it was like always emotional and always like really I don't know like and I think this is still a massive part is and I would say most of it is like really about people's personal kind of emotional experiences because that's what you're going to write about because that's what you kind of have a lot of ideas about and you know connection with so of course that comes out a lot yeah definitely. But, um, 
I was so I was so excited and surprised to see how many like just really funny funny poems there were um I loved it but yeah um and also that that that's um kind of what's super popular it gets a really good audience reaction when you do a lot of comedy people really engage with it um in a way that I didn't necessarily expect which was super cool right and like so for for this poem that I just read like when I go for the line um it's like but I just can't think straight when I'm with you not that I ever can but that's beside the point like yeah. I remember performing this poem for the first time and the audience were just losing it at that line and, yeah. it, and yeah. I was like I can be I can be funny I can yeah. like write funny poetry poetry doesn't have to be this specific kind of like deep emotional thing it can also like have a bit of variety and just be just plain fun too yeah exactly I think that that's that again like and you do get you know poems that are emotional and funny and they like kind of they use humor to explore like very deep emotional events did you but, mean my um, next poem <laughs> are you shouting out my next poem <laughs> yes probably um which i think that you should uh you should read now so that the listeners can kind of get an idea of what an emotional and funny poem looks like <laughs> solid <laughs> so uh this poem is called english and it started off with just me, um, just because I, I, okay, so in Sweden, people start learning English quite early, and it's like mm. a big part of like Swedish society. It's like the learning, em- learning English, there's like a very strong emphasis on that. And so yeah. I was just kind of thinking about that, and I, I realized that like the way I started to learn English was like off of Pokemon cards. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. cute, like, because they don't translate those into Swedish because we're only 10 million people and like they can't be bothered. Um, but I just remember having these Pokemon cards and just being like, what do these words mean? Like, I, I can't understand. Like, the, I recognize the letters, but I can't make sense of them. And that just really yeah. intrigued me. And I thought, you know, I thought it was like kind of a funny idea. And then the poem became something quite different, um, which yeah. you'll see right now. But this poem is called English. Cool. I'm ready. Um, at six, I start learning English off of Pokemon cards. See, since Sweden is such a small country, they didn't really bother giving the card Swedish translations. This innocent observation sparked a sense of mystery. Why are there letters here that I recognize but can't make make sense? Now it's fascinating, isn't it? At six, I learned the Swedish winner of Melodifestivalen is going to sing her song in English at the Eurovision Song Contest, even though she won with the song in Swedish. My parents say it's what people will understand her, you know. But I understand her just fine. And so does everyone I know. And so the next year, the winner's song is in English from the get-go. It's about Las Vegas and neon lights. But that's about everything I get from it. Yet no one seems to care about that. Early, I learned that in the grand scheme of things, Swedish doesn't matter. At 10, I learned that if you stay up long enough, you can watch Hannah Montana on Disney Channel in English. And all the shows mom watches are in English as she works out in front of the TV. It's a hidden world opening itself up to me. There are Swedish subtitles, so who cares, really? At 10, my older cousin is reading a book in English and I'm confused as to why she didn't just buy the translated Swedish version like mom always does. She says there wasn't one. And I nod. At 13, our school makes us pick a third language, Spanish, German, or French, but 
most people don't really bother. English is enough. As long as you got your English down, you're good. At 13, I read my first proper book in English. There wasn't a Swedish translation, I think. Actually, didn't bother to check. At 18, I moved to the States as an exchange student at a random high school, which no one questions or challenges, only encourages. At the prep camp before, we have 450 students. 440 of us are going to English-speaking countries, 10 are going elsewhere. See, that sounds about right, doesn't it? At 18, I start writing poetry, but only ever in English, Swedish isn't good enough at 21. I moved to the UK for my undergraduate degree in English language and literature. People ask me why, but really, how could I not? At 22, my grandpa, who doesn't speak a word of English, asks me to translate one of my poems for him into Swedish. And I almost say no. That poem every time, man. Thank Every you, month. thank you. Um, so, okay, talk me through. Yeah. Just, just go, you know what, just say what you would like to tell people about this poem. Yeah, so like, okay, so the thing about this poem is that it did just start off with me just having this kind of funny thought that, oh, I started learning English from Pokemon cards. Isn't that so quirky? Um, But then it just became this whole poem about language politics and Anglocentrism and just this idea that, um, because I think Swedes, obviously, like, I'm an extreme example, like, not every Swede moves to the UK to study English language literature as their actual university degree. But at the same time, it's not a coincidence that I'm here, you know? And I think that's important to recognize. And I think a lot of Swedes, especially younger Swedes, have this almost internalized um, kind of preference for English and like seeing the value of learning English and like seeing how English is deemed as like more important than Swedish is. And obviously this is a very subconscious thing. It almost took me writing this poem to fully like Mm -hmm. pinpoint my feelings about that and realize that I too have like been um, like downplaying Sweden Mm. partly like I haven't been like proud to be Swedish I've just been like I guess you know when people have been like oh yeah I really want to go visit Sweden I would be like why would you do that um yeah kind of as a joke but also kind of not and I think it kind of took me took me writing this poem to just realize my own kind of internalized um almost anti-Sweden but it's more of a it's more of a um preference for for an for english and for an english-speaking country and for like you know the english-speaking world and like see and because we get fed this idea that somehow english-speaking cultures are better or more important and you know that's not a coincidence at all and i think it's just important to to recognize that and to try to you know see where it's coming from and actively try to do something about it um, so yeah. since writing that poem, I've been, you know, incorporating uh, Swedish into my poetry uh, as a very mindful thing, which um, which is what my third poem is gonna is gonna show. Um, oh. But it's just, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. So that that's kind of why I wrote the poem, and and that poem just means a lot to me. Yeah, the especially the line "How could I not?" I think really like sums up that kind of 
dealing with. Right. It's not a coincidence. Like It really just isn't. And I think that part of the reason why I also chose to perform this poem at Unislam is because this is a perspective that not a lot of people know. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Um and like even Swedes like having having heard and read this poem they're like, "Oh. Yeah, no that's that's yeah." And like it kind of stumps them for a little bit. And I guess I started, I just wanted to show that perspective because in a in a place like the UK, um in a space like Unislam where a lot of people has English as their first language, um it was I was it was almost, I almost think of it as a privilege to to get to share that that um, perspective, I think, of just what having English as a second language, how that impacts you, and the journey of just the pressure to perfect English as a second language. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that that's something as well that I think, yes, it's a kind of, you were saying like, oh, it's it's, it's a perspective that we don't really hear much of. And I would say 100% yes, but also like it's a, when you put it in the context of how many people kind of have to speak of, are kind of forced to speak English to engage in a kind of global yeah. market. Um, so many, like I'm sure it's billions of people um, in the world. Like I, the this perspective I have on it is obviously like um, my mum is South African. Mm. Um, in South Africa, there are 11 um, official languages. That's not even all of the languages in South Africa. But the only ones people really will know about will be English and Afrikaans because yeah. um, it's an easy name to understand. Right. Um, and so it's whatever's accessible to English to understand. Um, yeah. Oh, and no, my mom that's always, it. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's 100% that of like, and that's why like I would say like especially something like kind of French is something that we're so like we're kind of so used to as kids like everyone in the UK really like gets a kind of taste of learning French through the school mm-hmm. system but any kind of other language that isn't like this kind of like I mean French is what's it like um a, a, what diplomatic language it's a diplomatic language mm-hmm. so anything that's not kind of introduced to us like we won't seek out and so that there's like no effort made there and that's actually something so many populations of people across the world have to kind of deal with is like there's going to be no effort made on the part of a kind of like English population to learn about your language or the pronunciations and you know stuff like that. That's so real Um, and that's not that's not a coincidence either you know like it's that's yeah. a very much a product of the way that English is constantly and continuously uh, prioritized in in just society and in global global yeah. situations. Yeah, um, I my mom always puts it so well because there's um there's a really famous South African song that most people will know, but they'll know it as referred to as the click song oh, by mm. yeah. See, like most people will know it no, like that, but no. it's got a real name, which is Kunkotwane. And people don't know that because like <sighs> I obviously because I had a South African mum, she taught me to like how to pronounce things and actually like how to pay attention. You know what, and that's like me being lucky and me having to you know what the saddest Yeah. You know what the yeah. saddest part about that is? Is that I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not surprised. Exactly. And there's also the thing that about how um 
people who don't speak English as their first language, their like their intelligence is judged by how well they speak English. Like I can be I can be Absolutely. so clever in Swedish, but if I can't express that in English, people just think I'm an idiot. People don't see my intellect for what it is because it has to somehow um you know come through this English um medium. And I'm not sure if you've seen, yeah. but there is a scene in Modern Family where yeah, <gasps> I was literally going to bring this up. She's like, do, you know, do you even know how smart I am in Spanish? Of course you don't. And it's just yeah, yeah. I just I felt that I felt that to my core. And obviously, um, I would I would say that my English is quite good. Um, it's, I mean, obviously, <laughs> thank you. Well. I mean, that, but that shouldn't be something. You can no, but like, like thanks. But it's just um. It, it, because it's almost like obviously I put in a lot of work into it and my mm. degree is literally English language and literature like it's you know yeah. but even for myself like it's been the case of you know hearing Swedes speak and um obviously like I have an accent I always will but some people you know pe- people in Sweden speaking English some people will have such a strong accent and then like my initial reaction would just be like oh my god um that's ridiculous yeah. um but that's like such like just internalized i just again like internalized just i can't find a good word for it but just you know this preference for english and this like journey to like seek like you're not good enough unless you have a a flawless english almost and that's just something that we as just second language speakers have to almost confront ourselves and like even when when i hear swedes speak in strong accents i like it, it's a, it is it's a mindful decision on my part to to see past that, and that's just the saddest thing. Yeah, it's so it's crazy as well because it's not even a proximity thing. Like if you think about Welsh, for yeah. example, like we're what like like a lot of people in England can drive to Wales in like under like four yeah. hours. Like or, I don't know, I'm, I don't yes. drive. <laughs> it's a short amount of time, yeah. um, and. Like no one, like no one even knows how to pronounce words in Welsh, like let alone speak Welsh. Yeah. Um, and I think that your, I remember at UniSlam, you know, sh- going back to oh, all of that shared Shout out to UniSlam. Um, but um, basically, I remember lo- everyone going up to Carl after that and going like, "That poem was amazing," and it exposed like such an, an interesting perspective. And it's true because it's something that you're like. Um, of course, of course, like that really affects you in the way you kind of perceive yeah. the world and like English as a language and as you know, be, like, like kind of as a culture. Mm. And it's it's such a, a powerful poem because this is what I was kind of saying is like, despite the fact that it's coming from your very specific experience, it actually speaks to a lot of people in different yeah. ways because it can. It's almost a shared experience in another yeah. way. Um, no, I think have you have you seen it. there is this TED talk by po- the American poet Olivia Gatwood, um, and mm. it's called like we find each other in the details, uh, I think, and like oh, it, it talks about the specific that. idea that like you know it's great you know poems a lot of the time try to like you know present these big ideas about love and mm. death you know all these big themes but really the way we reach other people is through sharing these very tiny, tiny details and this, these very specific experiences. And that's kind of how we just how we connect to other people, I think. It's so, so true. Um, that's such a, that's such a, I don't know, beautiful philosophy of the world. So I'll definitely have to give that 
a yeah, look. Um, so we're coming kind of up to about halfway now. Nice. So um, I think it's time for the next oh poem. God, great. So this poem, this poem requires just a bit of um, explanation beforehand. So um, okay. as I was saying in my, um, you know, my response to writing the English poem for myself has been me incorporating a lot of Swedish mm-hmm. elements. And so, um, so two things here. The first thing is that there is a Swedish thing that I'm going to, um, that I'm going to sing out. Um, but the translation of this, of the thing that I'm going to sing is I have an ash tree. It's at least a hundred years. And I think it's just, that means nothing to you right now, but it's will in a second. Um, and then the other thing is that in Swedish, um, so my, my, my grandparents are quite a common like uh, theme or motif of my poetry. And uh, they've inspired me yeah. a lot, especially, especially my grandmothers have made a lot of, a lot of features in my, in my poetry. Yeah. And um, in Swedish, the way we refer to our grandparents is different than English. Because in English, you'll talk about like your grandparents or like your grandmothers and your grandfathers. And there's a sense of ambiguity there. In Swedish, every, like all of the, you know, four people have their own title so that there's no ambiguity. Mm. Um, so my, my paternal grandmother is my farmor, but my maternal grandmother is my mormor. And so um, okay. that's just a very uh, just neat thing I think that Swedish does. And um, yeah. it's something that I wanted to bring out in this poem too. So the, word, the words you'll need to know is the one I, once I just told you, mormor, farmor. Uh, Murfar, which is my maternal grandfather, Farfar, paternal grandfather. So the words are literally just Murmur, mother, mother, Farmur, father, mother, and just kind of smush them together. Um, so it's yeah. very, it's very neat. Um, and so this poem um, also has a Swedish title, and it's called Majas Alphabetsonger. I am five singing songs about flowers. At school, there are copies of both the CD and the book for Majas Alphabetsonger, where there's a song for each letter of the alphabet about a flower with a name starting with each letter of the alphabet. Jag har en ask, den är minst hundra år. I always love this song as ask can mean both ash tree and tiny box, and I'd imagine both. A hundred years on, how different they would have become with the ash tree still burst in spring or hesitate. The tiny box still kept close to one's chest. Murmur once gave me a tiny brass chest with a glass apple inside. That I keep inside a wooden box I made at school in fifth grade and Farmor and I used to take turns guarding. A tiny wooden treasure chest lest Farfar would pretend to steal it. Neither of us able to contain the giddiness in our chests and I guess I wonder for how long I get to keep this. These boxes of memories that I store in my chest, lest I forget where I put them, I find songs are a good way of remembering. The melodies uh, lit up pathway, the lyrics a wooden staircase. In my family, we are all hoarders, taking photos of everything, storing things. I remember the last time I climbed up into Murfa's attic. Nothing short of a tour of his chest, a testament to his existence in a hundred years, would you rather be an ash tree or a treasure chest? Burst or kept, singing to the flowers or sung to rest when we sold our house. I found my own copy of Maya's Alphabet Songer in the attic, 
and was five years old again, singing the songs into my chest to keep the flowers within me alive. To be real, I don't always want to be five again, and I don't always want to be alive, I guess. But then listen, if you ever hear me sing or hum as I do other things, know then that I'm imagining a past and a future to exist in. Thank wow. you. Oh my goodness. It's, it works so well with the Swedish as well. Like you, you know, mm. that it, there's, I think that there's, there's no other way that that could have been expressed. Like it's just, it's like you said, it's just so neat. Like it just <laughs> makes so much sense. Right. Um, it's so brilliant. Um, I love the, you talking about kind of like the little box and especially the box that your grandmother gave mm, which to one? you. Which uh-huh. <laughs> one? Um, I believe it was yeah, normal. That's, that's the you one. Gave that's it the one. Oh. You passed. Yes, you passed the test. <laughs> um. So, do you still have that yeah, little box? Yeah, I do. That's right. I like that you were like, "Oh, me and my family are hoarders." Um, because I think more people should be hoarders. <laughs> Um, yeah. Just generally, shout out to like collecting random stuff throughout your life. I love physical Me memory too. stuff, and I think that really comes across. In Thank you. Know, like I really put a lot of uh, just emotional value in in certain things like that. And so now, like we just sold our house this summer, and that was took such a huge toll on me, honestly. Um, but yeah. like just finding that little box and just you know choosing to keep holding on to that, that was a big big moment for me. That kind of yeah. inspired this I mean, poem. I think I think it's interesting that some people can move from their house com- like with complete ease, and mm. it really doesn't mean anything to them. Um, they don't really have an attachment. They're like, oh well, it's it's you know, I don't have an attachment to a physical place. Like, I love living here, but um, I'm 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 moving for a reason. Mm. But then I don't know. I think Can't... other people. I definitely have this. I definitely have this, and I I think. By the sounds of it, you do. You just have like connections to physical memories. Um, So, has has it been a pleasant move, though? Yeah, no, like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. no, like, I feel much better now. And obviously, like, there are a lot of things going into it, but um, it felt like you know when I when I said my proper you know goodbyes to my house, you know, walked out of it for the last time. Mm -hmm. It felt good. Like it felt like closing at closing a book. Right. And so I think it was harder for me, like when we were in the process of doing it rather than now, because now I just feel much better. And my parents are so, so excited about moving to this new house. Because um, so now like my, my brother and I have both moved out, you know, so it's kind of like um, the house has kind of served its purpose. So now they're moving to a different place. And it's just I'm very, very excited for them. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a poem that I think encapsulates all of those ideas, especially of like kind of chapters and an age yeah. and and how time works. I think it's I I don't know. To me, it it felt like you were kind of opening a tiny little box and kind of seeing all of the like things that time had kind of kept held mm, in there. Oh, I love that. That's what you, I love that. That's what you took away from it. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I've got a very um like my my brain is very image heavy yeah, and yeah. when I kind of like I, I I think digesting a poem after you've listened to it just like kind of sitting there and thinking like what did I take from that and that was definitely like what I got was like this cute little nugget of time mm. um 
which I think is I just love. I love I love the kind of the, your poems are very naturally emotional. Yeah. Um, I think that some some part and this isn't like a bad thing at all. I think some poems are very aggressively emotional and kind of slam you against mm-hmm. the wall and are yes. like, look how like scary and horrible and or like you know look how much I feel this thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that your poems like get across like that there's this very like deep emotion but it's it, it kind of it's balanced and it's very gentle but it's like still as powerful i i, I just mm, love it oh thank you um, thank you so much oh, it makes me so happy but um we are racing through uh this is this is um always the point of the podcast where i feel like we, we're moving so quickly <laughs> it's almost time for our next poem so that we have kind of all of the time for the final questions. Yes. So should I just, if yeah, you yeah, want I'll to... just, I'll just jump right in. And so this poem, this poem is he, I, yeah. it is, it is a bit, it is a bit harsh to say that I hate myself for writing this poem, but, but okay. um, so like right now, um, so I mean, I'm in third year uh, of my degree and I'm doing a module on creative writing and this right. week, uh, the theme was like persona and voice, and so I okay. Izzy, I, w- I went off. I you she really yeah, popped off. What can I say? This is a poem. It's called the bouquet, and it's written from the point of view of a flower in a bouquet. Oh, okay. Are, are you ready? I'm very ready. I'm I'm anti- I'm waiting in <sighs> Okay, okay. Oh my son. We are surrounded by sweaty hands and lots and lots of carbon dioxide. I think he's nervous. Do you guys think he's nervous? Yeah, thought so. Thankfully, we're all here. Both me in my gorgeous green coat and Rose and Lily and Daisy, our colors vibrant. Don't worry, my dude, he's gonna love us. Oh, my son, is he holding on tighter? Oh, I think he's binding us closer, together, Ouch, get those thorns away from me. I know what you did with Daisy last week. Don't think even for a leaf second that I've forgotten the trail of pollen leading all the way to her stigma. You really are the root. (laughs) You really are the root of all of my problems. I can't believe I almost did a STEM degree for you and stopped using flowery language. You're such a florist, aren't you, Rose? Deep down, when the bee comes down to it, you rise to overshadow us all. Classic florist supremacy. Yeah, florist supremacy. Look at me using fancy words I've learned studying flower language and leaf literature at Sun University. Did you know that the pluckers assign us meanings? They say there's a system, but I don't believe it. The pluckers just made it up. But then again, language is made up anyway. Hundreds of thousands of words, and you still can't say sorry? That's fine, Rose. I don't care. We can, we can put our different stems aside and turn the other leaf and fatality didn't happen. Now that we've been plucked, we need to make the most of it, make it worth it, be our most vibrant selves before we wilt and go back to the meadow, yeah? Feel that. The sweaty hand is holding us tighter and tighter. He really cares, doesn't he? But he picked the best ones. See, with the creme de la creme, right, guys? Let's be the best goddamn bouquet the guy has ever seen. Let's glow and glow and live and sweat and breathe color before we go. Yeah. Um... Wow. Oh, my God. Okay, but context. I did find the other poems just as funny. It's just that I had heard them before. But that one, oh I just... 
Daisy with the trail of pollen leading all the way to her stigma. No, yeah, yeah, what's yeah. it? Rose. Was, yeah. Whose stigma was it? Whose stigma? Gixi stigma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a trash bag. Uh, oh, my God. I love, love, love oh that. Oh, my God, Izzy. Okay, talk me through. I don't, even, I don't even want to. Oh, my God, is it this poem? This poem. <laughs> I just, I don't know, because I was just, you know, because um, we ha- each week we have to submit something to like a an ALG, like a small kind of seminar group. And it was like the yeah, night before. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do like a, this is a 20 minute free write poem. I just want to point it out. It was like a minor edit. So it was just like a 20 minute, just get these thoughts out. Just get this idea out. I just, yeah. I don't even, I just, I just went for it. I just did that. Yeah, you I really did that. Did that. I I'm so I love hearing fresh poetry from kind of people that I I kind of already know because it's so exciting to see what, what kind of <laughs> you you're kind of thinking about um, and I love that that came from um, something as boring as a unique task um, because it is so so funny especially with did you get to read any of your classmates stuff yeah 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 no definitely and was yours the funniest I mean. <laughs> Yeah, humble brag, maybe. <laughs> um, oh, I I have to say I'm obsessed. That would that would go down a treat at a spoken word, um, kind of. Open no, thank mind. you. But I think because I think this poem for me ties into the idea that poems doesn't have to take themselves so seriously all the time. Yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. like especially the poem I just read about you know um, my grandparents and all of that. That that poem is quite like it is. You know, there is a balance, of course, but it is quite of a, you know, a heavy poem in some sense. It's, it's like a very emotional poem. It takes itself very seriously yeah. um, in a lot of ways, whereas mm. this poem is just, it's just, just having fun with it and just showing the versatility of poetry and spoken word poetry. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I was going for. No, absolutely. I mean, it's I. I think it's it's great to have a balance. Yeah. Oh, like all things in life. Um, <laughs> it's it's yeah. I it's absolutely fantastic. I can't believe you hate yourself <laughs> writing it. Uh, oh, and the puns, <laughs> I want that, I want that the puns, Izzy. We can put our dif- different oh, stems aside. Oh. I know. I know. Oh. And I'm sorry, but um, I can't believe you almost. Oh, got me to choose a STEM subject, <laughs> uh, different, especially from one English lit student yeah, to another. Yeah. I was like, Lish. "Yeah, you tell it, Carl. You tell it." <laughs> I'm representing every English lit student ever in that part. Uh, 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 I was, I was loving it. I was definitely shouting oh, in the back. Thank uh, you. Oh my god. But yeah, no, so I, I did um, that. I did that. Yeah, yeah, you really did that, and you did it well. <sighs> thank um, you. I. So I'm so in love with you. <sighs> yes. Um, okay, so just before we, because I'm very aware mm, of our true. time, um, and I don't want to take up too much because we've still got some final questions to ask. Um, so obviously the the podcast is called Poetry But Make It Relevant. Um, and I just wanted to ask, do you think, like, what would you say is the most relevant thing about your perspective? What do you feel is relevant um, in what you talk about? Ooh, so, so um, that's a really good question. I have, I have two yeah. things that I think that I, that I like to keep in my poems to, um, hmm. to just bring that, bring that perspective. And I think one thing is very much my Swedishness. So like adding those Swedish yes. elements and 
you know, my poem English, I think, is a great example of what I try to do in my poetry, which is, you know, showing this perspective of someone who is writing in their second language and who, um, you know, has this relationship to learning English as a second language. The second thing is that I, I really, um, I want to bring in that queer perspective. Um, yeah. But I, so usually my poetry, um, like I try to incorporate queer elements in a way that is, uh, feels very natural. Like I don't want to feel like I'm, mm. obviously like I have written and will write very like queer, um, mm. like heavy poems, but I also think it's important to just get those poems where it's just kind of, it's just a part of it and it's just there and it's just yeah. um it's just present without um having to be the only thing that the poem can be um because i think it also ties yeah. into you know the idea of intersectionality and how you don't mm-hmm. you're not just one thing um and yes. i think that's important yeah. and i so i really want to try to bring that perspective uh, into my poetry obviously as a white male um I think it's important to to recognize that. So one thing that I do in my poetry is that um, I, because I get very tired of white males who write these, what they think are universal poems, when really it's a very white male kind of poem. And so I always try to be aware of that limitation and and always try to um, write the poems very specifically from my perspective and being aware of the limitations that that entails. Um, because you know the world there is so much there's so many perspectives out in this world and like my perspective as a white male mm-hmm. like I am queer but I'm also like um but I'm also a white male and I am also uh, you know uh, it's just I think it's important to be aware of of the uh of that and to um not pretend like I'm representing this universal experience i'm not even representing the universal queer experience i'm a i'm a you know so i just try to be aware of that in my poetry and i hope that comes across yeah i think i i think 100 that does i think you kind of mentioned that earlier with just basically saying like by representing the details of my life i'm going to inevitably reach people in ways that they'll connect to on their own kind of turf you know like you don't I, I I think it's very interesting that um this is uh, I hate to bring it back to you, Sam, but any kind of poetic experience with you. I tend to um someone asked this like the panel of judges in the Q and A, um, how do you like how do you feel like you're representing um people without like reaching? And he, he said this very kind of cautiously and I could tell he was very nervous to say it. And um, maybe unhelpfully, but I think completely honestly and correctly, one of the judges just went, if you feel like you're reaching, you are. Oh. Um, yeah. And I, I remember that moment so vividly. I remember that so vividly. Because <laughs> the whole room was like, oh, <laughs> she's right, but yeah, damn. Right. Oh, um, I love it. And, and the thing was, is that like, I don't think that could have been said any other way because absolutely like if you feel I I think that people need to recognize like you aren't necessarily going to be able to be the voice for everyone like that's impossible and also very weird that you want to be the voice for everyone like just kind of uh I think like what you were saying of like if I represent like how I feel and someone connects to that I've created something rather than like 
saying this is what this person would feel right you know yeah i think that's a really good distinction yeah um and i i i think that that's really important um and especially when it comes to kind of queer poetry i find that um people tend to try and represent queerness as something that's like either opposed to or like super super similar to actually being straight like people like what's the difference and i'm like but there like there is a difference and like that's fine and the the relationship between two men and two women is going to be different and it's going to be different to a man and a woman and that's like that's partly because of how society works and how gender roles work and it's okay to acknowledge that that's the current state that we live in and that basically like queerness doesn't center around straightness it's just a separate entity and that's okay to bless. accept it doesn't make it more or less important yeah. you know? bless thank you can i get that on the get on a t-shirt as well <laughs> t-shirts are gonna be really <laughs> I'm if only they get merch done for every episode <laughs> check out my new merch in my shop online really- shop yeah, literally. Oh, I would love. Actually, you know what? I love. I made the icon for this show, and I'm. I'm sorry. I want it on a t-shirt. It's not even. It's not even that good. Like it's <laughs> really basic, but the color combinations for some reason really <sighs> hit me, and I don't know why. But I'm proud of it. We, um, we have no choice. But okay. So last but not least, I um really want to. I love asking this question. My favorite question um, oh my of God. the episode is. So you, if you, I mean, I know Carl's listened to uh, some episodes. So, um, if aliens came oh tomorrow gosh. and wiped out all trace of humanity, no. uh, or wanted to, um, and your friend at NASA says, "I've got one more seat left on my spaceship. Come and bring one poem. What poem are you bringing?" <laughs> Izzy, <laughs> you can't do this to me. Oh. Um. <laughs> Okay, so okay, part of me, part of me wants to say "Wild Geese" by Mary Oliver, mm. um, but obviously, because I think you know, a lot of people would would agree that that would be a good choice. Yes, yeah, I'm pretty sure a lot of people. But would agree. personally, I think I would probably go for Sarah Kay's poem Hiroshima. Um, mm. She there was the one of the. Uh, the poems that was um, at the end of that first TED talk that I was talking about in the beginning, and I just remember mm. hearing that poem and and then also reading it afterwards, and it just really, really struck a chord with me. And I think it just struck a chord of you know, speaking of universal experience, but I think it just really, it it really yeah. reached me. That poem really reached me, and I think that's yeah. um, I don't know, like I just just I would encourage people to to go on YouTube and find um, Sarah Kay's TED Talk and listen to her perform this piece because I think I think you'll understand what I'm trying to get at. Mm. And I think that she really encapsulates what we've been talking a lot about in this yeah. episode and something that I always want to talk about because um, so, like universality is something that people will always be discussing in poetry um, and kind of being talking about like universal themes yeah. um but essentially like her speaking about a very specific kind of reference point being um being half japanese yeah. um 
and kind of also having American heritage and the, the combination of obviously it was America who bombed Japan and having that kind of synthesize in your body and your emotional reaction to that, I think is so, so interesting. Um, uh, I, I love, what's it? My, uh, one of my friends from school, um, when she moved away to do her, um, her art she did an art college for the last mm-hmm. two years she spent her whole final project doing um her mum is austrian and her dad is jewish and her mum's like family were, were nazis um and she her whole piece was about how she reconciled that within herself and was all about like connections between people and it was this lovely like mixture of sculpture and watercolor that she had done and sounds and it was basically this mass multimedia experience and I think that that's what she's trying to get at is like all of these kind of fragments of art kind of felt like all of the fragments of her identity trying to kind of work in one space and it kind of does and it kind of doesn't and I think it's just such a beautiful representation yeah. of it no yeah no I'm yes yes to all of that I'm so, very much on board and that's why yeah but that's why I think as well like you were saying um it kind of works with um Hiroshima poem. Yeah, and that's um, that's also, I guess, why I think it would just represent humanity in that sense. Um, yeah. And also, I just wanted yeah. to shout out this other poem, which I was also um, thinking about this morning, which is a poem called Accents by a wonderful poet, Denise Froman, which mm. um, is also on YouTube. Um, wonderful performance as well. And that poem just very much talk, talks about what we've been talking about too on this uh, this episode, about having English be your second language and uh, the way that your accent, um, just <laughs> the humanity yeah. of that, I guess. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So e- either of those well, two. Well, Carl, yeah, um, I love that. I love, I love all of the choices that you've uh, kind of offered up oh, there. Thank you. And um, thank you so, so much for reading your poetry. It's been so nice oh, having thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've had, a, I've had a blast. But yeah, anyway, thank you for letting me needle you with questions. <laughs> Always. Um, and thank you to our listeners. Uh, we will see you next week, Sundays at four. Goodbye. Bye.